Welcome uh, to Cultivate Church. Uh, this is the, the, we call it the family gathering of the church because uh, we are a family of people who gather. Um, so as John mentioned before, a church isn't a building but a people. It's a people that have been called by God to represent him to the world. So uh, if you're visiting with us today, thanks for being here. Uh, we hope that you never visit church again. And the reason why we say that is because we hope that you become part of the church, which is the people and that as that people, we, could, we get to be God's people everywhere that we go. Amen? Um, so I, I kind of, I feel like I need to sort of address the elephant in the room uh, because there's been a lot of stuff going on in the world and in the news. And um, so I feel like it'd be a little disingenuous not to at least address it and to talk about it a little bit before getting into the rest of our morning and story uh, today. Um, But I was reading an an article about what went down on Friday, and um, the title of the article was, uh, Where where is God when bad things happen? You know, does does God allow these things to occur? Um, And and they had all kinds of different people from different viewpoints and everything sort of chiming in on that question. And I want to kind of... I, I guess talk about it from a different perspective. As you know, we've been going through the story of God, and we've been dialoguing about it. And one of the reasons that we've been dialoguing through the story uh, is to get you thinking about what would I do if I were placed in certain situations where I had to give an answer uh, for certain things. And it helps to know our story, right? And I hope that that's been occurring for you over the last eight weeks, really, that as we've gone through the story you've really gained a a contextual understanding of who God is. And what I mean by that is you're able to understand not just the character of God, that he's good and he's great and he's gracious and he's glorious, all these things, but you're able to actually drop those truths into a story. And you're able to say, the reason I know that God is good is because he didn't leave us on our own. He actually sent his only son into the world to redeem us. That's how I know. And you can begin to tell that story. Uh, Here's the thing, as the church, um, we, and I I use that term broadly to talk about all of us, not just collectively, but when we're at our places of work and our neighborhoods and wherever we hang out throughout the week, we are the missionaries of God. We've talked about that over and over again. You've actually been given the Spirit, we're going to talk about this a little bit more today, uh, in you to empower you to have a defense for who God is and what he's up to in the world. And so I can actually give you, I think, a reasonable, um, you know, talk about what it looks like for and where God was on Friday when uh, horrendous circumstances, right? Um, I mean, horrible, horrible thing. Um, But they're not going to ask me, the people that you work with. They're going to ask you, Right? So, so what, what do you say? How, how, do you, how do you answer that question? Where was God on Friday when school children were being murdered in cold blood in their classrooms? What do you say? I'm not asking rhetorically, actually. I do want you to think about it, but w- we need to be kind of thinking through this, Right? Let, let, me, let me pose the question this way then. How, how does what we've gone through in the story so far, how, how is that whole thing 
How might that help you to give a reason? Yeah. Yeah, so the problem is pervasive, right? And we're seeing that in the headlines, right? That uh, the, ev- the creation is separated from the God who loves it and created it to live in perfect harmony together uh, without violence, without um, hatred, without, you know, all the things that we see in the news. And we, so when it gets peeled back for us like that, see, there, there's a couple things. There, two of the answers that I happen to see in the, in, in the news article that I read, um, one was kind of the atheistic uh, stance, and then the other one was sort of the generic God stance. And so uh, here, here's my kind of theory on it, that there are those people that believe that there's no God, and because they believe that there's no God, they actually have a really good answer for why th- Friday occurred, right? They, they can say, well, there are good people, there are bad people, there are chemically imbalanced people, and so some of those people, if given the opportunity and the means, will carry out that kind of thing, as horrendous as it is, but there's no real rhyme or reason to the world. It just sort of happens, and we have to live with it. Now, that's an answer, right? It's actually a logical answer from their, their standpoint, but what, what is that answer lacking? It's lacking hope, right? So, so we can, you can have that answer, and yet all of us, we, we, the first time you heard the news that 20 school children were murdered in their classroom. Your heart sank, did it not? You felt like you were kicked in the stomach, as I was, and it, it was hard to function the rest of the day, particularly for those of us who are parents. We're th- we, we were placing our own children, right, into the identity of those that were lost, and we're thinking, how in the world? So there's something in our hearts that goes, we know that can't be the answer, right? We, we know, we, just, we can't leave it there, it doesn't work. It doesn't resolve this tension that I feel in my heart. But here's the other answer that's often given. There is a God, and he knows what's going on in the world. He does care. And so in that scenario, you kind of flip the, the, what's given. There, there are people that are trying to grasp at hope because they believe that there's a God who's good and yet are wrestling with the tension that it doesn't actually provide an answer. To the, ser- to the scenario, right? Here's the thing. The only thing that provides a sufficient answer for the problem of there being a good God and yet there being a day like Friday is the story that we've gone through up until now. Do you see, do you see why that has to be the case? Some of you are nodding your head. That there has been, and we've seen this in the story, a good God who created humans in his image to bear witness to God's glory in the world, in everything that they do. They're supposed to reflect what God is like, his goodness and his graciousness, his character, his, his, you know, his long-sufferingness, his forgiveness. And yet, because that creation rebelled against him, because God created them to have free will, you know, your children, if, they're, if you demanded that they love you, how genuine is that love? Not very, Right? You kind of have robots that are able to give you affection maybe, but it's not true heartfelt response to the love that you've shown them. 
And so God, in, in that sense, as we've seen in the story, gives people the opportunity to choose a, a life apart from him, which immediately creates for Adam and Eve, as well as every you know, subsequent human that followed afterwards, death in everything that they do. And sometimes that death is experienced on small levels, and sometimes that death is experienced in massive casualty-type ways. Um, so I, I'm, I just want to encourage you with that, that you, uh, to, to know the story is to both have hope and have an answer. Because we get to look to the cross as a community and as individuals as God sends you to your workplace and say, you know what? God hated what happened. I mean, his heart is more broken than ours is. I mean, I, I, I have a hard time comprehending that, but I cling to that truth because I know the story, right? His heart is more grieved than even the parents of the children that were lost. And yet God knows what it's like to lose his only child. And does that resonate with you? And he hates murder enough that he was willing to send his child to the world in order to redeem those who would kill him. We saw that last week. Jesus is hanging on a cross and he's going, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God hates it enough that he sent his son and he loves his creation enough that he sent his son. So the reason, the only way that we know that both God is good and that terrible things exist is one, because his creation walked away, and two, we have hope because we know that God will redeem it in the end because he's already said so in his son. I, I want you to be equipped because the, the, the reason that we're here this morning isn't just um, for you, although it is, but it's so that you might be a light to those who you get to be in contact with. And so shine that light brightly. That's what the Bible calls us to do, right? And so I want to encourage you with that and just say that it is through the story that we get to have that understanding. It doesn't take away every question, though, right? And so that's part of the mystery that we need to live with. And we live still in that tension of trusting wholly in a God that allows these things to happen, but knowing surely that God will bring these things to a good end when Jesus is ruling over everything, right? That's the hope. So, so we have a little bit of work to do today in that we're not done with the story. We need to actually learn a little bit more about it and our place with it. And uh, if you remember from last week, we were at the climax of that story. We talked about Jesus' death and resurrection, the, the, the pinnacle of what humankind is all about. It was focused and funneled in on that one moment in time when God's own Son took the place of every human who ever lived and substituted himself for us so that we could find forgiveness of sins and new life through him. And we saw that through that, and, and what was amazing about it is that he didn't remain in the grave, right? That three days after that, he rose from the dead in triumph over sin and death. And so we spent the last part of our time talking about how Jesus is Lord over sin and death and salvation and righteousness and humanity and all these things. He is Lord over everything. And the question that I really wanted you to wrestle with last week is, is he Lord over your heart and life too? I mean, are you part of that? He's already Lord over 
everything that we've seen so far in a way that no other character in the story has been Lord over everything so far. And so the question is, does this story find its way to your life? And are you kind of finding your story in Him by submitting your heart and life to Him? And you'll know that that's happening because you'll start to lay down your rights for Him. You'll start to ask things like, God, what do you want to do today through me? How how do you want to be glorified today? Because this isn't about me anymore. That's how you know that this is beginning to happen in your life. Your story begins to be about Jesus and not just about you. It's a wonderful thing when that happens because that's actually the way that we were created to exist in our lives. So I, w- I want to move us now into uh, the next story, and then we're going to dialogue about it for a little bit, okay? So in the weeks that followed Jesus' death, he appeared to his disciples many times and was seen by over 500 witnesses. Quickly, the news about his resurrection spread throughout the land. One of Jesus' disciples named Thomas said, I will not believe that he's alive unless I can put my fingers into the holes where his hands were nailed to the cross. A few days later, Jesus appeared to his disciples and said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. Feel the hole in my hand. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Thomas shouted, It is you, Jesus, my God. Then Jesus said, I will bless those even more who haven't seen but still believe. Soon after that, Jesus met with his disciples over a meal, and he said, John baptized you in water, but in a few days I will baptize you with God's Spirit. This will give you power to live in my ways and to tell the entire world about me. Jesus commanded his disciples, I have been been given all authority in heaven and on earth, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations all over the world. Baptize these new disciples in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all the commands that I have given you and to walk in my ways. And be sure of this, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. God's Spirit will come and will live inside of you, giving you peace and leading you in all the ways of truth. As the disciples watched, Jesus went up into the sky, disappearing in the clouds right in front of them. A few weeks later, a group of 120 of Jesus' followers, including his closest disciples, gathered to pray together in Jerusalem. All of a sudden, they heard a loud sound like the roaring of a windstorm that filled the house where they were meeting. And each of them was filled with God's Spirit and started to speak in languages that were not their own. They went out into the streets and began to tell people about all that Jesus had done. This roaring sound was actually heard throughout the entire city. And a large crowd had gathered outside the house to see what in the world was going on. At that time, Jews from all over the world, they were living in Jerusalem. When people had heard Jesus' followers speaking, they said, how in the world can this be? They're from Galilee, but they're speaking in our own languages. This is amazing. One of Jesus' disciples named Peter stepped forward to explain to the crowds what was happening. 
He said this is part of God's prophecy being fulfilled. We are eyewitnesses of the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead and is the true Messiah King. When Peter explained how Jesus had fulfilled everything the prophets said about the Messiah, he told the crowd, each of you must turn from your sins and turn to God. In Jesus, you will find forgiveness. He is the final sacrifice for everyone's sins. This is God's new covenant offered not just to the Jews, but to all who would believe and want to be part of God's family. That day, thousands believed what what Peter said and repented, putting their faith and trust in Jesus. They turned from their sins to follow Jesus and to walk in the ways of God. They were baptized and became part of God's family, once again empowered to live out God's promises to be a blessing to all people. God's new covenant was not written on tablets of stone like before, but on the hearts and the minds of the people so that they would always know how to live in God's ways. These followers of Jesus were deeply committed to God and each other, sharing everything that they had and praying, learning about God's ways together and helping everyone that was in need. All with great joy and generosity. And daily they ate together to honor and remember Jesus' life given for all of them. They saw God do amazing things through them. Miracles and healings as he added people to their group every single day. This was the beginning of what the Bible calls the church. A community of people all over the world who because of Jesus once again enjoy a life that is full and complete, a life lived close to God the way that God had always intended it to be. That's the story for today. So I want to ask this as we get into the dialogue about this. What is the mission that Jesus sends his disciples on? We start basic, right? What's the mission? To go and make disciples, right? What else? (coughs) Baptize them. Yep, that's part of it. Any other elements to there? Right, so... He's not sending them out by themselves, right? He, he is going with them. I'm going to be with you as you go and do this. What, el- what else does he say is the mission? Yeah, teach them. To do what? Yeah, to obey his commands, to learn how to walk in his ways, right? So what is a, a disciple? Somebody has said, hey, I heard you Christians, you guys talk about disciples a lot. What does that mean? It means a follower. Yep. A student. An apprentice. So kind of uh, learning uh, the ways of the person that you're following. And not just in a classroom, right, but actually walking in them. What's that? To be a disciple is to be a teacher? Yeah, where do you see that? Yeah, so a disciple makes disciples, right? Yeah, so we see that in the story too. So how do you make a disciple then? How does one go about that? 
according to the story. Brute force. <laughs> Bribery. <laughs> to lead by example. <laughs> That's better, <laughs> says the husband. <laughs> I'm going to go with what she said, yeah. <laughs> How do you see that? Yeah, so that it's hard to teach somebody else to walk in the ways of God if you're not already walking in them, right? Yeah, so there's that. Yeah, the original disciples were very, uh, there was something attractive about Jesus, and we know that because some, some of his followers, they dropped their livelihood to follow him, right? Uh, how important is it in the disciple-making process for those that want to make disciples to, be, to actually live an attractive lifestyle? Yeah, exactly. So our, our lives are the, are the greatest billboards to the message of the gospel, right? So if, you, if you're not living an attractive lifestyle, I, I don't mean that in sort of a performance, you need to do this, 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 and this. But if there isn't fruit that's being produced in your own life that looks different from the fruit that's being produced in other people's lives who don't yet know the gospel, how attractive is Jesus going to be to them? Not very, right? So if they, if they see a church who is hypocritical, who judges people before loving them, who, uh, you, you know, all the things that we see in the world first, they're going to go, yeah, you talk about this message as if you believe it, but you don't believe it. And you're going, wait a second, what a, I, I believe every bit of it. You know, I've read my Bible three times through, and I believe every word. It is the Word of God. And somebody who doesn't yet believe it would go, yeah, but you're not living it, right? And because you're not living it, it's not actually producing fruit, so why should I believe it if it's not producing fruit for you, right? So there's that lifestyle that's kind of wrapped up in it. So um, what else? How, how do you make a disciple? You speak their language. What do you, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you got to become part of their world, right? It, it's tough to. Uh, and how much did Jesus do that? He, yeah, I mean, how much of his time did he spend with the people that he was discipling? Almost all of it, right? Isn't it interesting, though, that we try to make disciples on Sunday morning and we don't care to spend time with people that don't yet believe? I mean, it. If, if it were Jesus, I think he'd have that flipped, right? That, that would be something that he would spend a lot of time doing. Yeah. Yeah, he would, he would meet people where they were uh, rather than expecting them to come to him. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's interesting, right? To, we sometimes think that making a disciple means that we just pour our lives into them and they never do any pouring out. 
But that, that's not what, what did Jesus do uh, very early on in his ministry with his disciples? He sent them out, right? So he said, part of, part of you learning to walk in my ways is that you would no longer live your lives just for yourselves, but that you would carry my message forward to those who don't yet know. So we, sometimes in the church, you, we, we think that you can be a fully formed uh, follower of Jesus. You've probably heard that phrase a lot in terms of mission statements in, in churches. Um, by just coming on Sunday morning, by being part of a Bible study, by studying God's Word and praying, and all those things are important, but those are all actually supposed to guide us and help us in the mission to carry out God's command to make disciples of other people. So you don't actually get to be a disciple that's fully formed until you make disciples of other people. It's actually part of your growth process. I don't know if you see that. But that's, that's a pretty amazing truth to gra- kind of get our, our minds around, right? So we, in a sense, we need to be out in the world with the people that we're making disciples of so that they would understand and be able to see with their eyes our lives walking in the ways of Jesus in order to know what it looks like to walk that out themselves. It's kind of like if you're... Um, if you've had a really bad model in terms of parenting, it's really difficult to, to kind of change your perception of what it looks, even if you've read all kinds of books on it. Um, sort of one afternoon spent with a family that's functioning really well and the parents really care for and yet are stern and disciplined but with grace and love with their kids, you go, oh, my gosh, that's what it looks like. Holy cow. Like, I could have read that in a book, and it would have taken me six months to kind of comprehend what I've seen in the last half hour, you know. So there's that kind of effect, too. They need to see the lives of people who are being formed into being disciples in order to know what it looks like to be disciples themselves. So, so in light of this mission to kind of go and make disciples, why is it important that Jesus goes and says, all authority has been given to me? Why is that significant then? Yeah, it gives them some courage, and and, and why did why would that mitigate the fear of them going out? <laughs> you you want to say? Go ahead. You want to say swagger? You do. It's just I can feel it coming out of you, Doug. I. <laughs> That gives you some confidence, right? Like we said last week, we're going out under the, not just the banner of the king, but under the authority of the king, right? What else does it do for us? Frees you from the law. Yeah, so who, who do you see that in, in the story? Who, who demonstrated that? We haven't gotten to Paul yet. <laughs> I'm not sure who that is based on what we've read so far. But I don't mean to bait you, but Jesus showed that, obviously, right? And who else are we seeing that in now? In Peter, right? Uh, and really the whole church, they all have this sort of confidence that they're, what they're bringing to people is good news. 
Do you notice that? Like the, they're not going out on the streets and going, well, you know, maybe if you, uh, you know, if you're, if you're not convinced of what you already believe, um, we, we might have some, you know, some sort of good news for you if you choose to believe it. But if you don't and it's just kind of offensive to you, then, you know, go back to what you were doing before. That's kind of how we do the story, right, typically? <laughs> but if, if we really believed it, as, as they did, we would see it as good news, and we would say it as good news, right, to those who are under oppression because they don't know the freedom of the good news yet. I thought I saw your hand up. But that's a great point, right? So they have the authority of the king to go out in his name and proclaim good news to those that don't yet know it. And yet they have the power to kind of back up what they're saying, right? That's phenomenal. Thank you. So um, what do you think the implications are that Jesus says, go and make? What do you think of those two words? They're emphatic. Yeah, they're, they're not suggestions, right? <laughs> I, I haven't known many kings to make suggestions to their subjects. <laughs> yeah, their commands. What, what a, so what's the, what are the implications of each of those? How about go? Yeah, it happens out, right? You need to be intentional about it, right? It, it doesn't, there's a going. <laughs> you can't you can't stay and go at the same time, right? Sure. What about make? Yeah, that's a that's a great point, right? It's a process. How how many of you are like I'd love to make a disciple if it could happen in one day and I could be done with it. <laughs> you know, like if they, if, they, if they just get their act together after 24 hours, I'd make all kinds of disciples. It's, but it's not like that, right? And for us, I mean, so the good news is how gracious has God been with us to slowly, gently, with grace and love over time, move us through the process of discipleship so that we would know him better and, and more. How gracious is he with us with our mistakes? And, and when we sin and fall short, and when we keep our, our, ourselves at arm's distance from our Father, and yet he loves and he pursues and he continues and he comes after his kids like no other father's ever come after his kids before. Now that should give us great perseverance, right, in the process of making disciples because we wouldn't give up on people as easily as we do. I'm convinced of that. So is this command for us today? Okay, you've implicated yourselves by saying that. How do we know it's for us today? Yeah, has the age ended yet? <laughs> I guess is the question, right? Right, self-perpetuating. So Jesus goes, uh, teach them everything I've commanded, I've taught you to, to walk in my commands. What's the very last command that he's giving them? Yeah, do it again, you know? Like, so everyone that becomes a disciple is a disciple maker. That's how the process continues. So what's the difference um, then between somebody that believes in God and a disciple of Jesus? 
There are a lot of people that believe in God in this country. Most people would check that off their, their demographic list. What's the difference, you think? Having a relationship with who? With Jesus, yeah. And his people. How do you see that? Yeah, yeah. It's a great point. You've got to be in community with, with God's people in order to know God in a sense, right? Yeah. And with the people that don't yet know God. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. What? Yeah, go ahead. What's that? Obedience. Yeah, when you're a disciple of Jesus, who gets the final say in what your life's about? It's Jesus, right? And that's a t- and it's so hard for us because if you remember all the way back at the beginning, what was the first what, what was the first decision that was ever made that produced the problem in the first place? It was the it was the desire to want to choose for ourselves what's good and bad, and right and wrong. So in a sense, becoming a disciple of Jesus is to go back to the garden and say, I give up my right to know that again because I believe that Jesus knows better than I do. And that needs to be produced in obedience in the way that we walk out our lives, right? Because again, if it's not produced in obedience, then we're just we're a hypocrite. What else is different? Yeah. Yeah, and that's particularly hard in, in times of trial, right? Um, the, the Bible talks about trials and temptations being times of refining. And I think that's often when we get to know whether or not our faith in the story and in, in Jesus is, uh, is true or not. Because if it's, if it's true, it'll be refined through that process. We'll end up more convinced and more obedient towards the end of it than we were at the beginning. Um, but if it's not true faith, it's just going to burn away. And we'll end up with more despair at the end of our trial. It's a great point. So, so how do you, I mean, think practically then. How would we live differently if, or how would, how would we need to live differently maybe in light of this command to go and make disciples? What, what would need to be different about life? Our priorities? Intentionality, yeah. This can't be just a sideline thing, right, that we do from 10 to 11.30 on Sunday mornings, right? It would have to be a lot more, take a lot bigger place in our lives than that. What else would have to change? We'd have to become selfless, yeah. What else? We'd actually have to get after it, right? <laughs> um, start thinking through our lives from the perspective of who has God placed in my life to do this with? And here's what I'm convinced. If, you, if God has made you his missionary by placing his spirit in you, you have people in your life that God has pre... I don't want to use the word ordained because it sounds spiritual and weird, but pre, um, pre-decided and positioned you, and only you maybe, 
in a position in order to carry out that work. And so the question isn't, should I or shouldn't I, but who has God placed in my life to do this with, right? So what, what does Jesus say here about disciples and baptism? He kind of connects these two ideas, right? I'm sorry, I'm really having a hard time with this thing today. I don't mean to be distracting, but we'll try that. What, what does he, uh, how does he make that connection? All right, so there's that. They're, they're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We're going to get to the Spirit's kind of part in this in a second. But even in the command, how does Jesus say that baptism is part of that? Can you be a disciple and not be baptized? There's a question for you. <laughs> I love it. Depends on which church you go to. yeah sure yep it's funny because we often if you've been around the church for a while we we tend to split up this process into two categories and we talk about evangelism which is the for the non-believers and discipleship which is for the believers right what does jesus talk about discipleship <laughs> you know like so so you're you're learning to walk in the ways of Jesus before you come to faith in him you learn to walk in the ways of Jesus after you come to faith in him it's all actually part of the same process and part of that process is is baptism so what is baptism what is it i mean other than the maybe we should start with the physical part i don't know but Yeah, so it's, a, it's an outward sign of what's happening in the heart. Yeah. It's an act of obedience, right? Yep. Yep. What else is it? Yeah, how does that, how do you, how does that symbolize in baptism? Dying to yourself and living for Christ. Right, yeah. So it's kind of, in a sense, it's a symbol of God washing us clean so that we can stand in his presence, right? Because the, the bringing in the symbolism of the old covenant, right? Um, do you see it's kind of a, it's an identity piece. It's sort of a, we've talked about it before in terms of it being a naming ritual, in a sense. Because what are we, what is Jesus saying here? Baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, so what is he saying? M- make sure that they know their identity in me. So uh, I have come by the work of the Father to welcome those who weren't in God's family into God's family. And so baptize them in the name of the Father because they are now God's children. They're his sons and daughters. Make sure that they know that. Because if they don't know that and they try to, tr- try to follow me, they're going to try to follow me to gain my approval and acceptance. If they know they already have it, though, because they're my children, they'll follow me. Do you see how that works? It's a different paradigm. Don't do it because you're guilty and you feel like you need to in order for me to have a relationship with you. I've come to give you a relationship. You're my son. You're my daughter. 
Therefore, walk in my ways. It's a, it's a change there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of that celebration, right, where the father welcomes his sons back into the party and says, all of, all of mine is yours now. And we're celebrating that fact by you being baptized into the family. We're giving you a new last name. You got dad's last name now. Uh, that's a cool thing. So we're, we're baptized into the father. We're also baptized into the son, which means that we're, Jesus is now our king and we are his servants. So there's that little piece of dying to yourself because I want my disciples to know that I'm in charge and that I have all authority. It's been given to me. Therefore, they can go out in boldness and be my people, um, but they, they can do it in submission too, knowing that I'm a good king, that I've already laid down my life for my subjects so they don't need to question whether or not I'm going to lead them into good places. I will, because, and they know that because I've already taken it for them. And then we've been baptized in the Spirit because God gives us His Spirit and sends us as His missionaries. I want them to know that if they're going to be my disciples, they need to be my missionaries because you can't be a disciple without carrying the message forward to those who don't yet believe. So all three of those pieces are crucial. They're essential for us to be disciples. And we need to know that that's our identity so that we would walk in the ways of Jesus. If you take away any one of those identities, we become less than a disciple. I hope you see that. We need all three to walk in his ways. So, so here, here's where I would encourage you. If you're, if you're coming to faith or if you've just come to faith, in Christ, maybe even through this process of going through the story, if that's happening for you or happened for you, and you haven't been, been baptized, that's the next step. Because that's the naming ritual. It's not like, and I say that not because it's, you know, something weird and spiritual will happen to you in that process, but like we said, it's, it's a step of obedience to say, I know who I now am in Jesus who I am now, uh, because of what he's done for me. And so this is the first celebration of what God has done, and so I'm going to walk in that. So if, you, if that hasn't happened for you yet, then please come and talk to me or talk, talk to somebody about it um, so that we can help you walk in that because that's going to be a great thing for you. Yeah, thank you for actually bringing that up because sometimes... Um, will be kind of part of God's church, walking in his ways for a long period of time, and either we've kind of pushed aside the baptism thing or haven't addressed it or whatever, and we think, man, I've been a believer now for, you know, fill in the blank. That, that's, that's gone and done with. Wouldn't it have been great if I had done that way back then? Now it's not available to me. And essentially what you're saying is that's still available to us, and it's a good thing to walk in. Because Jesus, we've said this already, identified with us when he was baptized. That's the reason he got into the water. It's because he's saying as, as our substitute, I'm going to identify with the sins of my people. They're going to see it on the cross, but I want them to know it ahead of time. And what we do when we're baptized is we identify ourselves with Jesus by saying, we're the ones that were in need of cleansing. And I'm doing this as a show, as a sign that I believe it in my heart and I want my life to change by the power of the gospel. That's why I'm doing it.
Yeah. Huh. So it, it made the de- it, it kind of um, solidified the decision by making it public. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point. I think that's a great aspect and, and value to um, doing it publicly like that. That's that's fantastic. So so in the story, if we're seeing now what the church is kind of doing, um, thousands it said repented because of what Peter was talking about and their demonstration of it, and they put their faith in Jesus. So what what were what is it that they were repenting of and trusting in? What were they turning to? Kind of. What's the two-part thing? They're repenting from their own rebellion. Yeah. How is that, how is that important? How have we seen that being necessary from the story? Yeah, so they're essentially um, turning from their rebellion. Yeah, that's great. And, and then what else? What's the other side of that? Accepting the new covenant, yeah, which is what? Which is Jesus, right? Laying his life down, being, being the sacrificial lamb that takes away our sins. From slavery to freedom, yeah. So, and what was the result of their repentance? How did they begin to live differently? What were they empowered to do all of a sudden? Everything Jesus did. Isn't that amazing? You grasp that? People that weren't Jesus, right, are doing what Jesus did. All of it. <laughs> Healing people, miracles, proclaiming you know, the, the works of God with power. They have authority and power all of a sudden. That's marvelous to see, isn't it? So Jesus is the only real non-rebel that we've seen in the story. Um, And yet everyone accuses him of being rebellious because he was rebelling against the world and its rebellion, not against the Father. And so, and in a sense, he calls rebels to be submissive, obedient people to the Father so that they would look rebellious to the world too. And they're causing an uprising, right? I mean, it, it is full on like, you know, everyone in the city knows about this because of what they're doing. So what do we learn about the Spirit? We need to make sure that we get this before we end. What do we learn about the Spirit from this? What did Jesus say about him? He's real. <laughs> Sometimes we're not convinced of that, right? Yeah, it's not, it's not God the Father, God the Son, and the red-headed stepchild, right? It's the, which is sometimes how we treat the Spirit, because we, we, we have great affinity to the Father. Um, we, we kind of see a demonstration of Jesus and who He is, and we love Him because He laid His life down for us. And then there's this sort of third black sheep kind of figure that pops in every once in a while, but most of the time we try to ignore Him, you know? Or in a box, yeah, yeah. So what what does Jesus uh, what does he say about the Spirit? He dwells within us, yeah. And what, so what's the Spirit going to do as he dwells within God's people? 
He's going to empower, okay? He's going to guide us in all truth. He's going to bring comfort. Yeah, Jesus said that, right? He'll lead you in peace. He's the comforter. Yeah, great. Um, What else do we learn about the Spirit? He's a gift. Yeah. Fully supplied from God. Needed for the work that God had called them to do, right? He's needed in the process of making disciples. Yeah. That's a great insight. Sometimes we think that education is the thing that's most needed in making disciples, right? I need to take a class so I can learn my Bible better so that I can make disciples. And Jesus is step one. What is, this, what is the first thing he tells them to do um, after he ascended into heaven? What's step one to the disciple-making process? It's not what you think it might be. What do we see in the story? Wait! <laughs> how, how many of you, when you're plotting like your world domination, um, <laughs> this, step number one is get in a room and wait. It's not, on, it's not first on my list. That's, you read church, uh, books on church planting, very few of them will say, step one, wait. <laughs> but what are they waiting on? They're waiting for the power to come so that they can do what Jesus asked them to do. And so they need to listen, right, in order to do what he's called them to do. How many of you, I mean, just being honest, I'll be honest with you, that our prayer life looks very much like we get into a room with God, um, we have a checklist of things that we want to share with him, we share the checklist, and we go, man, that was a really good time of prayer. Thank you, God. I'm on my way. You know? Um, That's not the picture of prayer that we see with these people, right? They're coming together and they're going, holy cow, we have a mission. Jesus isn't here anymore. What in the world are we going to do? I'm afraid. I'm going to be honest with you, Peter. I'm shaking in my boots a little bit. How is this going to happen? Well, I don't know. We're going to get into a room and we're going to listen and wait on God and he's going to give us power. Okay, that doesn't seem like a plan, but we'll do it, all right? (laughs) They're all questioning Peter's, you know, authority already. This guy doesn't look anything like Jesus, you know. Jesus always had a plan. This guy, not so much. We're all getting together in a room, and we're going to wait and pray and and be afraid. Okay. Game plan. Yes. That's what they do, though, right? They sit together as the people of God, and they listen. They listen for the Spirit of God, and they wait on the power of God so that they can go and live out the mission of God. Do you hear all that going on? That's a powerful thing. I don't, I'm just confessing to you as a leader here, we don't do enough listening. We really don't. And I'm, I'm, I'm the number one guilty person in that. I need to be a person that listens far more to the Spirit. And, and a great thing happened to me. God really... Um, demonstrated this to me the, just yesterday. As actually, <clears throat> Mandy and Caleb and I were all, in a, you know, having a, a morning. We didn't have to be anywhere. It's the first Saturday morning, and I don't know how long that we didn't have to go anywhere or do anything or be anywhere, do all that. And so we're just waiting around. 
um, doing our family thing and just enjoying one another. And we get a knock on the door. I'm like, oh, that better be UPS, you know? <laughs> and and so, so Mandy goes to the door, and she peeks out, and she goes, I think it's a Jehovah's Witness. And I, and I kind of said back to her, I think they'll go away if we just, if we just wait long enough. And she goes, you know, you really need to answer the door. And I'm like, uh, I don't want to. Can I? Yeah, right. That can't be him. Can I turn this thing off? You know, uh, just one Saturday morning where I don't have to flip this switch and and, uh, and talk to people. And uh, so I'm standing on the other side of the door to this person who's probably obviously feeling very uh, a lot of trepidation too on the you know. Uh, on the other side, he was there with his daughter, and um, and so I I finally open the door and I start talking to him. And and one of the th- here's what the spirit said to me, which was very interesting. Normally, what I would do, you know, I've got I've got Bible background, baby. You know, like if you want to debate, <laughs> you want to debate what the Bible's about. I'm I'm in. You know, let's get chapter and verse. Come on, let's sit down and do this. And. And so no, normally when, when someone like that comes to my door, who I know uh, has, has read the scriptures and, and knows quite a bit about it, um, my first inclination, just to be honest with you, is to debate them and, and to get into a, a verbal argumentation about, because I know, I, know I know the path that they're going to take to get to a certain outcome, and I'm going to make it my, my mission to veer them from that path so that they arrive at a different conclusion. They walk away going, man, maybe I'm not so convinced about this whole thing. Maybe he's right. So, so I o- open the door going, man, I don't, I don't want to do this kind of thing today, but okay if I need to do it. And, and it was interesting because the man's daughter was with him, and she couldn't have been more than 10 or 12 years old. Um, her name was Jasmine. And, and something clicked in me, and I thought, you know what? Um, God has been using us in our neighborhood not to go to our neighbors and debate them into the kingdom, but to actually walk in the ways of Jesus and to welcome them as if they're our brothers and sisters in Christ already, even though they aren't. And so what if you just welcomed him and treated him like a person and, and loved him and even maybe welcomed him into uh, the family that God's creating out of your home called the church? What would that look like? And so we, we got to talking, and he's doing his whole thing, and I'm like, I, it's funny, he's asking me questions about what he wants to talk about, and I, my questions in response to him are just, how are you doing? <laughs> hey, uh, Jasmine, I'm Jay. It's very nice to meet I'm like, I'm doing the whole, like, relational route, and I'm going, what is this? Why am I doing this? This is a whole different track than I normally would have taken, and I think it was what God wanted me to do. To, to, so, so the point is, that they wouldn't walk away going, man, that guy's really smart. He really knows his Bible. Maybe I'm wrong. The point is, man, there is something different about that house and the people who live there. Most people shut the door in my face, and they you know, look at my daughter as if she's uh, you know, a delinquent when we go to the door. And this man treated us like we were family. I'm going to remember that house. And I I think that is the reason that God has put you where you live too, is so that you would walk in the ways of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, to live out God's mission in everything that you do. And it begins with the way that you live your life. This is a get-to. 
This isn't a got to, right? This is something that, that God gives us the privilege of doing in the world because of what he's done for us. We need to remember that more often, I think. Especially, especially at Christmas. When, when the, the, the trajectory of the church is to go, I you know, go out and just you know, demand that everyone says Merry Christmas to you, and if they say Happy Holidays, then say Merry Christmas three times. You know, like, because <laughs> that'll do it, you know? <laughs> what if instead we did what Jesus did, was to spend time with people and to demonstrate that we're for people in such a way that they would go, man, there is something different at work here. They have power and authority that's different from what I know in my life. And they love with a greater love than I've ever known before. Even though they know that I disagree with them, they love me. There is something different about the king that they live for, and I want to know more about him. That's our call. That's our mission. And so I hope that you're part of the church as we do that. So let's look to our king in prayer and uh, ask him that he would make it so, okay? Father, I do thank you. Thank you first that that uh, you made us your children and that we're part of your kingdom. Thank you that um, though we were the rebels, you didn't hold our rebellion against us, but you came in love to defeat our rebellion through the one who is only obedient. So we thank you so much that he was obedient to the point of death on a cross so that those of us that would never substitute ourselves could be substituted for and find life in him. So you've created this people called the church, and we thank you so much for it. God, we know that you could have done it all yourself. You could have said, here's what I'm about, and, and I'm, I'm just going to do it, but you include us. You, from the beginning, what you've desired is amazing. You want a, a people called out from the world, empowered in a new way, so that we would be able to demonstrate what it looks like to live under this king. And so I pray, God, that that would be our mission here. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd empower us to live it out. God, we are, are wholly inadequate to do this. We, we, we should be in a room quaking in our boots if the Spirit had not been given to us to empower us for it. So thank you, God, for the Spirit. Help us to be a people that listens more for the activity of the Spirit in our hearts. And we trust you, God, for today. We trust you for tomorrow, knowing that you're a good king. In Jesus' name, amen.